baking. I want to talk to you about baking. Baking is a wonderful thing, right? <laughs> the bakery. I don't know who invented the bakery, but it was, yeah, giving, giving shout out to whoever that was. But uh, baking all takes place because we have this little thing called flour. Wheat grows in the field, it's harvested, and then that wheat is ground down into flour. And if a recipe calls, if it's a very specific recipe, it's a very special recipe, it's a delicate baked good of some type, the recipe may even call for a fine flour, a sifted flour. That, that might be some type of a delicate cake, like an angel food or some other thing that you really need a very light, thin batter. So sifting flour, uh, sifted flour or fine flour is what you need for those types of things. And so the flour to produce those types of things goes through this process called sifting. Sifting is just the process where uh, it gets the lumps out. It gets the, 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 the imperfections out. It gets those clumpy aspects of that flour just sifts it out. You, you sift flour by putting flour through a, I guess it's called a sieve, right? And, and you sieve it, you sift it through the sieve, right? And, and then what comes out through that sifting process is that really fine, fine, fine flour. Just to take it a step further, because you can use the word sift to talk about sifting flour, but of course you can use it in other ways. And so the, one of the definitions I want to bring out to you tonight is, the definition, is this definition of sift, which is to separate or separate out by or as by putting through a sift, or you can use it as a metaphor that there is a sifting and that things are being separated out from whatever that sifting is happening to. Tonight, we're going to look at the second of five Levitical sacrifices. The second one is called the grain sacrifice, the grain offering, or the grain sacrifice. Last week, we learned about the first sacrifice, amen? That, that burnt sacrifice, it's the idea of being totally consumed for the Lord. And, and tonight, we're going to learn about the grain sacrifice, the second one. God commanded five sacrifices to be brought by the worshiper at the tabernacle. The five sacrifices together speak of the complete sacrifice of Jesus for the world. The five together speak of the total picture of what that sacrifice was, what it is, what it's done for us. There were five sacrifices needed to fully express the sacrifice that Jesus would become and was on the cross. Five. One wouldn't do it. Two didn't get the job done, three, four, no, it was five. Five sacrifices, and we have them. They're known as the five Levitical sacrifices. The grain sacrifice specifically tells us four things about Jesus' sacrifice. So as Chris mentioned, in this series, everything is telling us about Jesus. It's telling us about who he is, what he did, what his character is, about his love, his mercy, his grace, his character... And it tells us 
and gives us very uh, close pictures of exactly what he did and the nature of that redemption story that, that he walked out perfectly. So the grain sacrifice tonight is going to tell us four things about the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. And these things are very, very important. Now, there's also going to be, not only is it going to tell us four things about the sacrifice of Jesus, but four things that God wants to do in our lives as well. Amen? Because he's making us into the image. We're being conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? So, number one, if you're paying attention, if you're keeping notes and all that good stuff, Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 2, and we're just going to read the, the whole thing here. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And the rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And if you bring as an offering a, a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be of fine flour unleavened mixed with oil, and you shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil, and you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord, and when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. And if you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer uh, for the grain offering of your fruit, first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads, and you shall put oil in it and lay frankincense on it, and it is a grain offering. And then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil, with all the frankincense, as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The grain sacrifice shows us that Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. Here in Leviticus chapter 2, God gave Moses 
instructions, detailed instructions for the grain sacrifices. As, and as you can see, they could be brought in various forms. You could bring the fine flour, you could bring it in cakes, even wafers. Uh, you could bring it baked in a pan, baked in a covered pan. I mean, it's just, you know, it covered all the, kind of all the bases there. And, um, and so there was, there was uh, you know, you saw that it, it could be brought in, in a few different ways. But, but here in Leviticus 2, we have these instructions for the grain sacrifice. But I want to look at verse 1 again because, again, Jesus, it's, it, this shows us that Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. Verse 1 says this, When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. And whenever you read these passages like this, hopefully you're beginning to learn to pick up on, there's, there's, there's little phrases, there's little uh, words that become um, kind of a, a repetitive uh, refrain, if you will. And those, those are important things that you see within these types of passages. The grain offering was made of fine flour, not just any kind of flour, but a fine flour. And a fine flour is a sifted flour. Fine flour was sifted flour without lumps. And we see that this shows us that Jesus' sacrifice was perfected. It was a perfect sacrifice. It was, it was sifted and found to not have any lumps. Now, when Jesus was sifted, we, we get sifted and we have lumps. <laughs> Amen. You have lumps in your flour. You have imperfections in your flour. And, but Jesus, he, he, he was sifted and found to be pure, fine flour right from the get-go. Amen. And this is what this sacrifice tells us, that the grain offering was made with fine flour. Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. Jesus was sifted, but he remained perfect. After his baptism, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted by Satan. You remember that. He was baptized. Uh, the, the Spirit came, descended upon him in the form of a dove. The Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so there you have that, that, that picture of the, the, the Godhead, the Trinity, the, the Father speaking, the Son present, the Spirit descending. And then from there, from that moment, Jesus was led out into the desert to be tempted in that sense, to be sifted. And he was tempted in every way. He, he, he went out for 40 days, for 40 days into the desert, and he was on a fast. He was on a fast. Now, this was a spiritual fast. Now, it's interesting because fasting has become in vogue. There's all these different fasts that you can do. And you can look and find all kinds of, you know, there's the, one of the biggest things you will find in the, in the uh, dietary world and the, the, the diet world is this idea of intermittent fasting, right? So who would have known we would get all the way to the end of the 20 teens and fasting would be a, a big thing. I remember years ago when we used to talk about fasting in the church and everyone, oh no, don't talk about fasting. We don't want to be fast. We don't want to fast. We want to have donuts in the fellowship hall. You know, <laughs> we want to have punch, you know. But who would have realized that we would get all the way to 2019? And fasting is a cool thing. But Jesus was on a 40-day a, a fast. And 
This is an intense fast, a 40-day fast. This isn't an intermittent fast. This is 40 days, 40 days of fasting, and that's intense. And um, you can, if you fasted for any length of time, you understand, uh, you know, a little bit about what, what happens, but just think of, think of that, 40 days is intense. And so one of the temptations that Satan brought to Jesus was, hey, you know, you're the, you're the son of God. Turn that stone into a loaf of bread. You know, break your fast, end this fast. Turn that stone into a loaf of bread. And of course, Jesus quoting the scripture. This is why the scripture is so important that we have it hidden in our heart. You know, David said, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it's exactly what Jesus did when he was faced with these temptations. Satan tempted him specifically in a specific area, and Jesus responded with the word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he resisted that temptation. And then there were the other temptations, one of which was he was shown the kingdoms of the world. The, the, uh, Satan they went up to a high place, a high mountain, uh, and just looked over and he says, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. And, and you know, part of, that, part of that we have to understand is that there was some, in order for that to be a legitimate temptation, Satan would have had to have made good, been able to make good on that. If it was just a laughable proposition, then it wasn't a true temptation. If it was just like Satan was, was unable to deliver the, the, the kingdoms of the world to him, then it would be like, it'd be like someone, you know, somebody that, you know, has 20 bucks coming up to me and saying, I will give you a million dollars if you do such and such. And if I know that they don't have a million dollars, then that's no, no kind of temptation, right? But if they do have a, t- a million dollars, then it's like, ah, man, I got to think about this, right? I got to think about this. And it's because the, remember from from our worldview, our, our Deuteronomy 32 worldview, the, 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 the kingdoms, the nations had been given up. They'd been given over uh, to, 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 the, to the sons of God. They'd been given over to these princes that are under the, the, the satanic hierarchy. And so this was a shortcut to the complete plan of God, which is to bring everything under the submission of Christ. And but this was the shortcut. But Jesus said, no. This was not going to happen. He, was, he had come into the world for a specific purpose, and he was going to complete it. And so at the end of it, he rejected those temptations with the word of God. He, he had been sifted. He had been finally sifted and found perfect. At the end of it, there was nothing there. There were, there were no lumps in Jesus' flower. And that shows us that Jesus sacrifice is absolutely perfect. Amen? Amen. But it also shows us how we're to worship God. In order to worship God, you must be perfect in God. You can't be perfect in your own self, but the worshiper is made perfect by Jesus' perfect sacrifice and us coming to him. We're made perfect. He was a perfect sacrifice, and we or enter into a process where he begins a sifting process in us. He makes us perfect, 
and then we begin this kind of concept of sanctification. We're justified, we're forgiven of our sins, we're made perfect, we're made holy, but then we go through a sanctification process where he begins to walk, work on our walk and work on our talk. And, and, and we've got to allow the Lord to do that. And you're, you're, you're not going to be, you're not going to avoid being sifted. You're not going to avoid being sifted. Let me put it that way. You're either going to allow the Lord to sift you or the enemy will sift you. One way or the other, you're going to be sifted. And just let me tell you, just let the Lord do the sifting. Amen? Just let the Lord do the sifting because he's going to make you perfect as he's sifting. Amen? He's already made it by decree in that justification and he's going to make it right in the sanctification process until we are standing face to face with him and we see him. And the, and the, the, the text says in 1 John, when we see him, we will be like him, right? And that glorification will, will happen. So the grain offering, the fruit offering shows us Christ's perfection that his sacrifice was perfect. Now the grain sacrifice could be made in the form of unleavened cakes, so you could bring just a fine flour or you could bring it in the form of various cakes. Unleavened cakes, unleavened wafers and cakes in a pan, cakes in a, in a, in a covered pan. The cakes were always, no matter what form, no matter which way you did it, the cakes were to be made without leaven. Without leaven, the text says. Leaven or yeast throughout the Bible symbolizes sin. When you look throughout the Bible, leaven and yeast, leaven and yeast in the Bible symbolize sin. Leaven, the leaven would cause the bread to rise, right? And pride is the chief of all sins, and pride literally puffs up a person. Let me say it again. Pride is the chief of all sins, Pride was the primary sin of Satan when he fell. And pride, the, 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 the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life was what the temptation was in the garden that actually got Adam and Eve. And so you have pride is the chief of all sins. It puffs up just as leaven in a dough will puff up the dough. Pride puffs up the person. And so the, the cakes, the the, these, these, uh, these things had to be made without leaven. Again, just to take a look at the sin of Satan. You say, when did sin enter the world? Well, it entered the world when, when sin, the, the, the sin of Satan, right? Before there was ever the sin of man, there was the sin of Satan. And we have this recorded for us uh, in Isaiah chapter 14, and I want to put verses 13 and 14 up on the screen. And this is a passage in Isaiah where it's talking about the king of Babylon. But as it continues down the passage in, in the chapter, you realize, whoa, 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 this isn't just talking about the king of Babylon. This cannot be talking about a mere mortal man. This is something, this is speaking to someone else. And you realize that it's talking about the power behind the man, the power behind the king. And so the nations, there's, there's, there is a power behind the, the nation. There's that prince of darkness. Remember when the angel Gabriel was withheld 21 days 
uh, as Daniel prayed and he finally got to him. He said, wait, wait, we've been praying for a long time. Where you been? Well, I was withheld by the prince of Persia. Not just a Disney movie. That's a real thing. That's really where they got it. Okay? Not the real anim the animated remake of the CGI. I don't know what they're doing, Disney, now. They're doing all this stuff. <laughs> but this was the real thing. The prince of Persia withheld him. And so here we have the king of Babylon, and we have the, the power behind the king. And it's talking about Lucifer or Satan. This is, this is what's called the five I wills of Satan. The five, this, this, this speaking forth of just pure pride that, that Satan uttered. And, and, and pick it up in verse 13. It says this, for you have said in your heart, speaking to Satan, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And so this is just pure pride. These are the five I will statements of Satan. And Christ is obviously contra contrasted with anything that would be remote, having anything remotely to do with pride, right? You know, the, 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 there's, in fact, the opposite of what Satan did is what Christ did, you know, who, and Paul relates it to us in Philippians chapter two, where he says, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but, but gave that up and, and made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the, the form of man and, the, and, and, and becoming a servant. Amen. He took on flesh. So, so, so the opposite of, of, here's Satan trying to puff himself up, and here's Jesus trying to humble himself to come into the world, to give, give of himself, to, to make the perfect sacrifice. So we see all this in the, in the grain sacrifice. Uh, fine flour and no leaven. Fine flour and no leaven. And this was Jesus. Perf, perfect flour, sifted and found, sifted, and it's like, oh, what happened? Oh, no lumps, no lumps. You know, just like we learned last week, you know, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Mm -hmm. And then again, I find no fault in him. It was like, it was like whenever you see something twice, like whenever you see a decree twice in the Bible, it's like, it's like this is it. Like, like you can count on it. This is like the truth. Like, you know, in Revelation, when it says Babylon is fallen and fallen, that's the idea. Whenever you see it repeated, it's like, no, this is the deal. Twice it's recorded that Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Why? Because his flour had no lumps and his dough had no leaven. <laughs> Amen. It was, it was perfect. Christ's sacrifice for us was perfect. Secondly tonight, the grain sacrifice shows us that Jesus' sacrifice is anointed. Look at verse 1. It says, and he shall pour oil on it. Look at verse four. And it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil. Look at verse seven. It shall be made of fine flour with oil. All of these various grain offerings were to be made with oil. The cakes were to be made with oil. Now as leaven symbolizes sin, leaven and yeast symbolize sin, 
Oil in the Bible is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Oil is the Holy Spirit. That's why we need oil in our lamps. We, we, we need the, the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? And so the perfect sacrifice must be made with the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit. He was conceived by the Spirit. And when, when the Son took on flesh and was in utero, I mean, you think about, so many times we think of Jesus in the, in the manger, right? And that's pretty humbling to think of Jesus in the manger, in the feeding trough, of the cat, cattle, we think about this on Christmas and all that we sing away in a manger. But Jesus actually was in utero. <laughs> you know, he, he went through the whole, just the whole deal, right? And he, so he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He, he, he was baptized in water and the Spirit descended upon him. And then, of course, he was led by the Spirit. The Spirit led him into the temptation and the sifting and and on and on and on throughout his life, amen? And so in that sense, Jesus shows us what it, what it means to be a person, to be a human being led by the Spirit, born by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, and living led by the Spirit, amen? amen. So this is how we become worshipers as well. We're made alive by the Spirit in the same way. And we're anointed by the oil of the Spirit. The Spirit comes to live with inside of us. And we need to be led by the Spirit in our lives. One of the things that you see, and you learn this early on, when you come to this word in the Old Testament, it's an Old Testament word in the Hebrew. And it's... it's uh, this, this idea of Messiah, of Messiah, right? I believe it's in the Hebrew, I believe it's uh, Mashiach. And then in the Greek, New Testament, it's Christos, okay? So when you see Jesus Christ, that's saying Jesus the Messiah. In, in, in Hebrew, really. So Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Right? Well, what is that? What's a Mashiach? What's a Messiah? What's a Christ? It's a word that means anointed. It's anointed. It's Jesus, the anointed. Jesus, whatever language you want to say it in. Hebrew, Greek, English, Spanish, Polish, you know, <laughs> however you want to say it. It's Jesus, the anointed. And so Jesus is the anointed. He's the anointed one in that sense. Jesus is anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit to be the perfect sacrifice on behalf of the world. And when we become Christians, when we come into the kingdom of God, we become the anointed as well. Let me, let me, let me paint the picture for you like this. We, we've already talked about the high priest, right? We've talked about how, uh, you know, 
Aaron was the high priest and he wore all the garments and the, the breastplate and all of it, the, the, the turban and the whole thing, right? And then we talked about, remember the, the, the message, the transfer, where Jesus becomes our high priest, not in the Levitical order, but in the order of Melchizedek, right? And so now Jesus is our high priest. But just as Aaron was anointed, there's a, there's a consecration of Aaron to the, to the high priestly office, and he was anointed with oil. And so the oil would li- literally come, and they would bring it in a horn, and they would pour the oil out onto Aaron, and the oil would come down over his head and down over his beard and, and down all, you know, just all over, wherever the, wherever the, anoint, the, the, the oil would go, wherever it would flow, that's where it went. And... And so just as that happened, that happened to Jesus as well. Jesus is our high priest. He's the anointed. He's the Yeshua Hamashiach. He's Jesus the Christ. And so he was anointed as well. We have this verse of scripture in Psalm 133 that is just so picturesque of this process. And it's actually talking about, it's actually using it as a, as kind of a, a, a metaphor for um, it says, when, when brothers dwell together in unity, talking about it, the, the, the unity of the congregation, in verse, uh, Psalm 133, verse 2, it says this, it is like, I'll throw it on the screen, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. Okay, so you have to think about that picture right there in that verse. You have to think about, here's Aaron, the oil coming on his head, coming down on his beard, you know, and there was a, probably a big beard, right? You know? I mean, these, these hipster guys of today, they didn't have anything on Aaron. You know, Aaron, I'm sure, had a big, you know, Northwest-style beard, you know? I mean, I mean, just, it was the real deal. And so that oil came down on his head, went down on his beard. And look at that last, last part. And it says, running down on the edge of his garments. So the high priest is anointed. The head is anointed. But then so is the body. The head is anointed. The beard got it too. And the body as well. So what we learn in the New Testament is we learn that there's this body of Christ, right? We learn that Jesus is the head of the church, but then we learn that we are the body. Jesus is the head, we are the body. And so just as the oil came down upon the head of Jesus, and he is Jesus the Christ, if you've come into the kingdom, if you've come into the family, if you've come into the body of Christ, then you have also had the oil of the Spirit come down off of the head and the beard of Jesus onto the body of Christ, onto you. And that's why Paul tells Timothy that you are anointed, Christian. You are anointed. And I, I, I have to admit that, that, that there was an understanding uh, that, that we always had about the anointing, that it was something we were always kind of chasing after, that we were always trying to get, oh, the, the anointing, and oh, where is it? We need the anointing tonight, and we need the anointing. And all the time, if you were in the church, if you are a legitimate member of the body of Christ, I'm here to tell you, you are the anointed of God. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to search for it. You don't have to wonder where it is. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you to live out your life for Christ. Amen? Amen. 
And this is a powerful truth that we need to get a hold of. And I don't know where we got that wrong back in some of this theology that some of us came out of. And it's like, you come to the, you come to the grips of it and you're like, what? how did we miss this? And Paul just very clearly tells Timothy, you are the anointed. Right. You're it. Right. And it is so such a powerful truth. Jesus came to be the sacrifice and then build the church. He is building the church that is the anointed. He's the head that's anointed. The church is anointed. He's building the church that is anointed. And this whole thing is a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the oil. It's a work of the Spirit, right? And so one of the best... One of the great verses in the Old Testament, and you can, I mean, it doesn't matter. You, you preach in any text, you're going to bring up a verse. You could say, here's a good preaching thing. This is one of the great verses in the Old Testament, right? Why? Because we're talking about it right now. Amen? And what is it? It's Zechariah 4, 6. And what it is, is this verse where God says, you know, this thing that's going to happen in the rebuilding of the temple, this thing that I'm going to do when you're looking at Zerubbabel and you're looking at this pile of rocks, you're looking at these stones that have all been demolished and there's not one left on top of another and you're looking at it and going, how in the world are we going to put this temple back together? How is it going to happen? And you say, with man, I don't even know how this can even take place, how it's going to come to be. And God says to him in Zechariah 4, 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, the priest, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen? Not by might. And God is building a temple. You say, where? Where? Well, look at what Paul said. <laughs> look at the whole thing that Paul's laying out in Ephesians 2 and 3, right? He's talking about we're being fit together. We're living stones. We're, we're not bricks. That's another message. Go back, to the, go back to the Genesis message, brick or a stone, right? We learned we're not a brick. We're not all conformed into this worldly image, but we're living stones and we're being fitted together in this beautiful thing called the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the church of Jesus Christ, amen? And so when we, we realize that it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so Christian, listen to this. Your life in Christ is a work of the spirit. Your life in Christ is a work of the spirit. So let it be a work of the Spirit. You say, well, I'm struggling in this area and I'm having difficulty over here. Well, try, stop trying to do things in your might. Stop trying to do things. Let it be a work of the Spirit. You, you could be, you could be there's a, there is a thing called hindering the Spirit. There is hindering the Spirit. There's quenching the Spirit. And you could be operating in your life in such a way that you're quenching the Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit's work in your life. He wants to do incredible things in our lives, in and through us, and we've got to let Him move. Your life in Christ is a work of the Spirit. We need to just let Him move, let Him work. You say, where, where is God? Let, let's let Him work. 
Let's invite him. Let's, let's, let's turn it over. Let's have that sweet surrender. Let's have that full surrender. Let's have that surrender of the, of the burnt sacrifice, which is totally consumed on the altar. Let's have that, but let's also have the oil of the Holy Spirit and let the Spirit fully move in and through us and, and, and not hinder him. Amen? Amen. Thirdly tonight, Jesus' sacrifice is lasting. Jesus' sacrifice is lasting. Look at verse 11. There was to be no leaven and no honey in the grain offering, the grain sacrifice. Verse 11, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. Now, if you had a fine flour, if you had a fine flour cake with honey on it, that was probably the equivalent of like a candy bar, <laughs> right? That was like a candy bar in the desert in the time of, of Moses and, 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 and the tabernacle. Because, I mean, you had a, you had a they, it did say wafer, right? So you had a, so you, a wafer with honey. Well, honey, honey was like, that was what they used for sugar. That was the sugar of the day. It wasn't this refined sugar. It was just this natural sugar. But as far as the grain sacrifice, there was not to be any leaven. There was not to be any honey. Honey is just something that's naturally sweet, naturally sweet. Some people are naturally sweet. They're, they're naturally sweet. And you may be, be, be naturally sweet, but that will not gain you any brownie points with God. What God is looking for is perfection, and he provides that through Jesus' sacrifice, and Jesus' sacrifice had no honey. He, he didn't have like, oh, well, let's sweeten this up, and let's just really make this kind of, you know, like candy. Let's just make this like candy. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, the idea of, you know, when you see a lot of theologies that come through and become these popular theologies and everything, and, and everybody runs, and, oh, this is the greatest thing, this is the greatest thing. It's probably got a lot of honey in it. It's probably a honey wafer. And God says, look, I don't want my, I don't want my wafers with, with honey. I don't want it with this, I, I don't want it sweetened up like that. I want it to be the pure thing that I'm doing, that I'm making it to be. And Jesus had that. And here's why. Here's why. And I'm going to tell you why. You say, why? Is Jesus against, you know, a good Kit Kat? <laughs> right? That's a wafer. It's a chocolate wafer with like, Sugar. You telling me that Jesus don't like Kit Kats? They had a, they, I remember when I lived, I lived on the Canadian border in New York, lived about five minutes from Canada. We'd go over there and they have a candy bar in Canada. Anybody go to Canada? Whenever you go to Canada, bring me back, <laughs> bring me back a coffee crisp candy bar, okay? Coffee crisp, all right? Go in the, you can probably find them in the, in the, one of those places in the airports where you can buy cologne and duty-free, duty-free. Yeah, you can probably find it in there. I don't know. Why, why am I talking about it? Okay, yeah, wafers, wafers. No, God, is God not liking coffee crisp? Is he not liking Kit Kat bars? Here's why. 
Here's why there was to be no honey. Honey does not, honey is a thing that immediately breaks down and cannot withstand the fire. It doesn't last. It's, 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 it's this thing that just doesn't, it's, it's not a lasting thing. It literally breaks down in the heat. And Jesus stood up to the heat and he did not break down. And that's why his sacrifice is lasting. His sacrifice is not some fleeting thing. It's not some momentary thing. It's not something that was good for a moment in time or, or for a fleeting period. But it's something that is lasting and it's going to last forever and ever and ever. And what happens, I think, and we see it in these modern teaching movements that come and today is nothing new. And that's why I love when I used to hear Pastor Chuck get up almost every year and say, oh yeah, they're going after this over here. They're going after this over here. And he would just sit back there and say, yeah, I've been watching this for decades, <laughs> you know, been watching everybody run over there, run over there, run over there. And they, they keep on running around in circles, running after the same thing. And they're running after honey wafers when God wants to bring you uh, into a sifted grain offering that is perfect, that is without leaven, without honey, that is presented in the way that Jesus wants it to be. And Jesus act exactly was that. And he wants to present you present you before the throne without fault and and, and blameless. Amen? And so this is how it's going to happen. It's not going to happen through a cheap grace. It's going to happen with total grace. Amen? And that brings us to the last point. Jesus' sacrifice is full of grace. Jesus' sacrifice is full of grace. The grain sacrifice was also to be offered with salt. It was to be offered with salt. Verse 13, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. In fact, a grain sacrifice was not to be made. It said it's not to be made without salt. So no honey, but not to be made without salt. Amen? And salt speaks of God's grace. Salt is, it's this idea, you, uh, Paul picks up this on when he's talking about speech in the New Testament, and he says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. It's, it's, it's actually graceful words. It's actually, it's words of grace, wor- words of the Spirit. And so the, the, the grain sacrifice was not to be made without salt, and salt is the grace of God. It's the grace of God. All these sacrifices, the 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 all five of them together obviously speak of the grace of God, but this point on the grain sacrifice is just kind of hammering the point home a little bit. It's like we're not having this sacrifice without salt. We're just not having it. And it's the grace of God. Amen? John's gospel records that, you know, we beheld Jesus. We beheld him, right? the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace. Full of grace. See, people, people, people want grace. People want grace. Oh, well, I want grace. Oh, we got grace over here. Oh, we got this church. Oh, they, they understand grace. They got it down. They got grace. What do you, oh, you mean they got Jesus? <laughs> no, because well, a lot of times you listen to what that's all about, and it's not Jesus, it's something else. It's licensed to do, to do all kinds of stuff. But what you need, what grace is, is Jesus. He was full of grace and truth. 
And you can't have one without the other. You can, you can have one without the other, but if you have one without the other, it'll do you no good. Amen? And so you need Jesus. He's full of grace and truth. The grain offering was also to be made of green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain uh, beaten from full heads. It signifies, the dedic- it signifies the dedication of everyday life in the life of the believer. The grain offering was also sometimes a first fruits offering. I got, I got to hurry to, to finish this up, okay? A couple things real quick and we'll wrap this up. Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24, I'll throw it up on the screen. He said this to them. He said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. This, this right here is talking to us about the first fruits offering of the sacrifice. Okay, so a grain, a, a head of grain is going to fall to the ground. But what that's going to do is it's going to bring a whole lot more grain. <laughs> right? Isn't that true? When you put a seed in the ground, what happens? We learn this in Genesis 2, seed time and harvest, seed time and harvest. When the seed goes in the ground, guess what your harvest is going to be? And that's why Paul picks up on that theme of this idea. And he says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. And so what are you reaping in your life? What is it? You look around your life. You look around your life. What's happening in your life? It, it is as sure as, as the sunlight came out today and the sun's going to set over here in a little bit. As sure as that's happened and it's continued to happen on and on and on and on for thousands of years and who knows what the timeline is. Millions of years, I don't know. As sure as that's true. This principle is true. Seed time and harvest, and spiritually it's true. Whatsoever you sow, that's what you reap. So if you don't like what you're reaping, sow a different seed, amen? Sow a different seed. And if you got, you got no harvest at all, then you got to look at your ground. You either got a problem with your seed or you got a problem with the ground. I don't have time to go into... Luke 4, <laughs> do a whole study on the ground, right? But you know that. So this is a picture of the first fruits. So when Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. It's verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 20. Have it up on the screen. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he is the first fruits. He's the grain offering. And this is also tied into uh, first fruits feast, okay? But I, I just throw that out there, but we're not there yet in the Who is Jesus series, okay? But this is the first fruits offering. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. He was beaten but resurrected. Amen. So the first fruit, the first fruit offering is always an acknowledgement of a subsequent harvest. Amen. And this is the this goes to the concept of the tithe. The tithe is the first fruits, and the first fruit offering is always, ha, always has it in mind of the subsequent harvest that's going to come. And, 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 and this is the truth. So, so Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first fruit grain sacrifice, guaranteeing 
the second harvest. Amen? Amen. Well, who's that? Look around. <laughs> Look around. Look to your neighbor. You are the second harvest. The church is the second harvest. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. We're the second harvest. Amen? Amen. This is the way he says it, skipping down to verse 22 in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. And that's where Paul puts it all together. Amen. So all believers in Jesus are a part of the second harvest of which he was the first fruit. So you are part of the second harvest. Amen? So you are literally a manifestation tonight, a bringing about into reality what was spoken of in the grain sacrifice. The first fruits sacrifice, thereby guaranteeing the second harvest. Amen? And here we are tonight. The grain sacrifice, it speaks to us of Jesus and his love 